Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me, as usual, is Cameron. Oh, 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 oh. Oh no, Jabba the Hutt, you've replaced Cameron. Oh, Han Solo. <laughs> That's the good fandom. Why, get, the, get these kids into the real fandom. Doing doing job of the huts. Doing uh oh, doing you know that one. Ah oh, can you do that? You know what I'm I, what, about? is that job of the hut? Like No, that's the other guy. That's the big furry guy. Oh, oh Chewbacca, okay. Yeah. Can you do the thing? Can you do oh. I, I cannot do the Chewbacca trill, no, unfortunately. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Well imagine ah, imagine that's me doing that. <laughs> I was <thinking> like <laughs> Jabba the Hutt's famous line, Han Solo. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe it. Uh, uh, children in the in the, the 2000s will read 6,000 pages of a webcomic instead of seeing one Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I love when George Lucas went back for the special editions and just put in that line in multiple points. And like he tried because uh, Jabba has such a scant presence in The Empire Strikes Back. He put that line over intercoms and various ships. That's true. He did do that. <laughs> uh, and you know what? Andrew Hussey would never be brave enough to go back and, uh, you know, put in a little place where John walks over something and uh, <laughs> uh, a and John in full 2D just moves up like it's uh-huh. in Photoshop and then down like it's in Photoshop. Oh, that is so funny. That's such a funny scene. It is. It it, it has lived in my brain since the, the 90s, whenever <laughs> those special editions came out and I saw The Empire Strikes Back in theaters. Or no. That's not in, no, that is that's a new hope because oh, they is that did, a new hope. Yeah, because they didn't have uh, the Jabba design finalized, but they shot the scene. And so that was the problem is like Han like walks behind the guy who was standing in for Jabba. And they were like, oh, how do we fix this? Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, because I remember that being a new scene. Anyway, if you're interested in learning about uh, uh, about all this, check out our other podcast. Star Boars. <laughs> I'm sure we're the shit. first ones to get that. Shit, crap. Hold on. <laughs> uh The Theory Wars of the 1980s. <laughs> Fuck shit. That's not that's bad. That's not good enough. Fuck. Uh, st- uh Hans. Oh, uh, a more civilized uh, age. Wait. That's fuck. it. There we go. We got it. No, 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 no. We got it. We got it. We got it. <laughs> Get that. Okay, hold on. Wait, I'm on. I'm on uh, GoDaddy. Okay. Yeah. Com. Uh, I'll, I'll start the Patreon dot, here. Dot net. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. I got bad news. Michael, I got, all right. We gotta, we're going to have to think about this. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Why have you summoned me? <sighs> okay. From my grotto? Uh-huh. Uh, I guess I guess uh, I can summon Partisode 11-2's reading for Homestuck Made This World. Okay. Do it. Do it! Jane enters the dream bubble where Jade and Callie are cosplaying as their Trollsonas and telling stories. Callie recognizes her, and Jane decides to make a Trollsona and join them. Elsewhere, John follows Terezi's directions and zaps back to the end of Act 6, Act 5, when everyone not mind-controlled was first reconvened in the new session, and just before Caliborn commandeered the narrative with Act 6, Act 6. 
John greets everyone and then heads off to Jade's battleship where he recovers the Ring of Life before Gamzee can steal it. John next travels back to Act 5, Act 1 on Alternia before the trolls entered their game and quietly disrupts one of Terezi's courtroom LARPs by stealing one of the plush animals she's using as a witness. Next, he travels to the moment during the Trolls game when Terezi and Karkat had a moving heart-to-heart. John writes a message for Terezi, telling her she, quote, doesn't need him. John next travels to Terezi's investigation of Gamzee's murder spree in Act 5, Act 2, and deposits the stolen plushie from before, then ruins the evidence Gamzee planted to frame Vriska. Finally, he alerts Terezi to Gamzee's presence in the lead-up to her confrontation with Vriska. In Callie's hideout, Jane recalls the events that transpired after she and Jade turned evil. The Condess had planned everything out and they were gladly following orders when Jade suddenly went quiet and the Meteor crew launched a surprisingly well-coordinated offense. Jane attacked Rose, but the Roxy from that timeline sacrificed herself to save her mom. As Jane and Jade begin to recover more memories of the confrontation, both recall the presence of someone in the opposing party for whom nobody had accounted. Back in the forked timeline of Act 5, Act 2, with Gamzee safely hogtied, Terezi squares off against Vriska again as Vriska threatens to go confront Jack Noir. But before Terezi can stab her in the back, John appears and punches Vriska in the face, knocking her out. Terezi is confused, as are the rest of the trolls, but John doesn't have time to explain and assures everyone he will see them in the new session. On John's planet, our Roxy holds a funeral for Rose and meets Jasper Sprite. John returns and hands the Ring of Life over to her, and then zaps them all back into the story. Throughout this, we have glimpsed occasional scenes of Mina and Vriska holding hands while watching Lord English destroy dream bubbles, and later rolling down an enchanted cliffscape populated by noble horses, laughing all the while before finally kissing at the bottom. In Calliope's hideout, Jade continues to narrate the arrival of the Meteor crew in the new session, and in so doing, realizes she and Jane are not, as they thought, dead, but were instead put to sleep by the signature psychic abilities of the Meteor crew's unexpected new leader. Clap if you believe in spiders! Vriska is back, and on January 18th, 2015, Act 6, Act 6, Intermission 4 ends. Andrew Hussey then announces a small hiatus, the so-called Mini Gigapause, in order to work on the development of the Kickstarter game, which has moved in-house, and complete some art chores for the final updates, which have otherwise all been written. Hussey does admit that Caliborn's masterpiece is not only next, but it is also, quote, some of the best material this website has ever hosted. Three months later, on April 12th, 2015, just one day before Homestuck's sixth year begins, Act 6, Act 6, Act 5 begins as Caliborn welcomes us to his masterpiece. He has made a half-assed construction paper stage similar to Calliope's, but since his is real, he can populate it with breathtaking stop-motion video animation of incredibly primitive clay figurines in short Vine-style videos. He reveals that on one of the many screens populating his land of colors and mayhem, he witnessed an incredible spoiler, the ending of Homestuck. And perhaps because he doesn't have an excellent co-host to curb his more capricious instincts, he is going to recreate it for us now over 500 pages before the end credits. What will happen is this. 
In the future, after Caliborn has beaten Yaldabaoth and acquired the flashing multicolored eyes of Lord English, he has also acquired the Lost Ring of Void, which gives him teleportation powers. He is hanging out after his quest with Lil Seb the Robo Bunny, Gamzee, and Dirk's copy of Lil Cal. He tells us he is slash will be surprised when John and the other seven kids all appear in the scene using John's retcon power. But then Caliborn unleashes the magic MacGuffin he received from defeating Yaldabaoth the floating glyph in the shape of the Spurb house logo. It immediately absorbs John, Rose, Dave, and Jade, trapping their souls inside, and Caliborn uses his ring to banish the MacGuffin into the void, where it will never be found until Vriska finds it back in Act 6, Intermission 5. He squares off against the Alpha Kids, but basically trounces them. In the carnage, Gamzee is somehow bisected again. Dirk is the last one standing against Caliborn, but when Caliborn takes him to the mat, he turns his back on the body. Jake rises up in Dirk's defense and emits a pure blast of radiant hope that even Caliborn's rainbow time powers cannot overcome. Caliborn is floored, and in a moment of brief respite, vows to get his revenge and show his respect by stealing Jake English's name later as Lord English. By this point, Dirk has recovered for round two. This is when the horses come into play. The ineffable, majestic horses. They appear, represented by the plastic figurines Hussey left Caliborn, who has to take a moment to paint them to look like robots, because it turns out that's what these are slash will be, robot horses. They have been summoned by Arqueous Sprite, who comes out of nowhere and uses the distraction to pin Caliborn. Dirk whips out his soul-tearing spell, but in the process of using it on Caliborn, he also captures Arqueous Sprite's soul and half of Gamzee's, binding them all together in the nearest vessel, the empty Lil Cal. Roxy then uses her powers to banish the puppet into the void, where Caliborn tells us it will exist eternally, summoned occasionally into the dreams of unlucky children, from which point he will be able to birth new instantiations of himself and grow ever more powerful and hugely muscular across universes. He tells us that he must now go face Yaldabaoth and set into motion these events, which he is doing as an exercise of his own will. He regretfully informs us we will never hear his voice again, but reminds us of one important fact about him. He wanted to play a game. Act 6, Act 6, Act 5 ends with a flash animation of the MSPA reader staring in shock at their computer screen as the eerie notes of Charlie Clouser's classic composition Hello Zep from the mind-blowing finale of the 2004 film Saw begins to play. The MSPA reader proceeds to have a total mental breakdown while reflecting on the sanity-shattering revelation of Lil Cal's true purpose and trajectory through the narrative, which are now recounted visually for the reader and which I I will recite in full. What happened was this. Lil Cal was first summoned via evil clown powers by Gamzee into Dirk's dreams back in Act 5, Act 2 as revenge for Dave showing Gamzee an insane clown posse video and causing him to lose faith in his clown religion. Cal haunted Dave's dreams his entire life until Rose in Act 4 pushed him out the window of Dave's dream tower. Cal was transported to the Ectobiology Meteor Lab where baby Dirk cuddled up to him before John sent all the Paradox clones to Earth at the end of Act 4. Cal reached Earth in the past with Dave's bro, the adult Dirk of the Beta Universe, and then spent Dave's entire life haunting his actual apartment in addition to his dreams before entering the medium with bro. After Jack Moore killed bro, he took Lil Cal as a trophy, eventually carrying 
him to the troll session where he threw Cal at an Aradia bot just before she was taken out by a meteor and transported into Alternia's past. On Alternia, the living Aradia discovered Cal's remains in the meteor impact site and handed him over to Kanaya, who stitched him a fancy new green suit. Cal was then used, along with the magic cue ball, to ectobiologically produce Doc Scratch, the first guardian of the troll's universe. Scratch set about orchestrating the creation of himself and ultimately the green sun, ensuring his death and the subsequent hatching of Lord English, who went on to kill Andrew Hussey and is now stomping around the dream bubbles. Crucially, at the moment of the Scratch, the kids' game session produced a second simultaneous run of meteor babies that also duplicated their companion objects, meaning that the Dirk who fell to Earth in the Alpha universe did so with a copy of Lil Cal that was empty of souls. Dirk lost his puppet before entering the medium, dropping it to the bottom of the ocean, where centuries or millennia later it was discovered by Gamzee and delivered to Caliborn in his game session on a far future post-apocalyptic Earth. Relative to that, Gamzee, back in Act 5, Act 2, acquired the green suit copy of Lil Cal, carrying it around for his murder spree, and took it into the Alpha session, where it was passed to that session's Jack Noir, who under its malevolent influence stabbed out his own eyes and replaced them with Cal's, becoming Jack English in Act 6, Act 5. Caliborn continued on in his session until the end, up until the point where all the kins confront him and lock his soul, along with the soul of Equius the autoresponder and a portion of Gamzee, inside the empty vessel Cal and banished it into the void from which Gamzee has already summoned the evil puppet in the future past, ensuring the continuity of the loop. All of this is blisteringly obvious in hindsight, with a bevy of supporting clues, such as the time Gamzee was called the most important character in Homestuck, except Cal was sitting in his lap. It turns out he was also sitting in his own lap, so they are both the most important character. Or the time Doc Scratch told Rose to think of him as her uncle, which is sort of true since he contains the autoresponder, a copy of her biological father, Dirk. Confronted with all this information, the MSPA reader seems to be in a very bad place and grabs their gun, but a certain troll interrupts the montage and we end our reading just as she prepares to switch up the soundtrack. I was muted, but, uh... Yep. <laughs> sure is a thing. Uh, and I bet everyone was uh, really happy with this. I bet everyone was really uh, enthused that all of their predictions came true, that all the expectations they had about the kind of off-ramp of Homestuck were being fulfilled, and uh, no one was even remotely upset that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the biggest load of bullshit ever made <laughs> was dumped in a uh, one and one half minute uh, flash. <laughs> well, um, everyone was totally cool about it. <laughs> I, I guess what is interesting is that I haven't looked at um, Tumblr reactions to this. Uh, I just haven't had the time and also um, the uh, uh as of me doing this, the the Tumblr Explorer has kind of been uh, just a little bit laggy and hard to work with. Um, but um, what I think is really fascinating about how all this lands in the Something Awful thread uh, is resignation to everything. <laughs> um, like people are sort of complaining, but they're not even like really angry exactly. Does that make sense? It's like no one's happy, but no one's like vociferous about this in the way that you might have expected. I don't know, back during the heights of act five or something, if, if, if uh, uh, something of this magnitude were to occur, uh, there's a real mm -hmm. sense that like, for instance, um, about like Vriska, uh, being resurrected here, uh, the second John starts making changes to uh, the, the timeline or, or however we want to think of this, uh, people are like, oh, he's definitely going to bring Vris Riska back, right? Like, that's just what's going to happen. Um, 
And then with that kind of bracketed, people then start speculating, well, here are the other things that could happen. John could do this, that, or the other. Uh, but then when Vriska finally is brought back, people are like, yep, Vriska's back. Well, like, I don't like, I don't know what I was expecting. Uh, let's go forth with this. And there are some people who are sort of happy about it in the sense that they like Vriska. And then there are some people mm -hmm. who are complaining, right? There's one person in particular who says, um, uh, something like, it, uh, uh, Vriska's, uh, uh, this person echoes something you said in the previous part episode. Uh, Vriska's had this, like, restart to her arc, like, three or four times now. Uh, that's what I was about to say, which is, like, how many times can you bring the same character back? Right. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I did think, uh, earlier when it was, like, uh, you know, many, many thousands of pages ago. When the narrative, one of the fan narratives was like, hey, hey Vriska is, uh, is Hussie's favorite character, and he lets her do whatever she wants. They give her infinite excuses. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and it's... I think, I think it's just the fact. Yeah, it, it's a, a, a really fascinating thing because it is, uh... It's also like narratively framed in such a way that uh, I, I talked last time about John and kind of his retcon ability as this expression of uh, uh, the initial like reader input, right? Or, or a kind of like allegorization of that. Um, there's a way that like Vriska coming back is uh, Tinkerbell in the stage adaptation of Peter Pan, right? When Tinkerbell drinks mm -hmm, the poison... Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, if, if you've never seen, I mean, if, I'm sure you've seen a, a version of Peter Pan where this happens, but like the famous part is like in the stage version, uh, Tinkerbell drinks the poison, she's dying. And then Peter, uh, tells the audience, like, you have to clap to, and say you believe in fairies in order to like bring Tinkerbell back to life. Uh, and of course this is a play for children. So it's, uh, it's fun, right? You get to have that moment mm -hmm. of input. The kids get to clap. They get to feel like, you know, they're having some sort of influence on the story. Um, yeah, it's one of the greatest bits of storytelling in, I don't know, 19th century history, yeah. 20th century history. Mm -hmm. Like just no question. Right. It's like, like slam dunk. Uh, and, and then many years later, Lin-Manuel Miranda would have you rap along with him. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily, Hussey avoids that in bringing us, in bringing Vriska back. Can you imagine? Like yes, the, I can. Like I can. click over the rap-a-log opens. Yes, I can imagine it. I've been there. Oh, God. I mean, not literally, thank God, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the, that's that's sort of the the interesting thing here is that it uh, can be positioned as well the, because Vriska was such a popular character, uh, people who see Vriska coming back get validated, right? Vriska's back, hell yeah, baby. Uh, mm -hmm. But really, this is it's the same sort of Peter Pan situation, and in fact, it's the um, the situation that I described back when Vriska was trying to insert herself into the kids' story, right, and take uh, responsibility mm -hmm. for the creation of Jack Noir. Uh, right. This is this is stuff that has been pre-written that actually happens without your input, and you just sort of like th there's a speech act of saying like, "Well, I'm responsible for it," uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's like you know a fairly cynical way to approach what's happening in Peter Pan. 
uh, because like that's contrary to what that thing is setting out to do, right? It's, it's written to do this thing, to give the person that feeling. And there's something sort of similar happening here uh, with Vriska, I think, although um, in a much murkier way. Like, not the, the entire audience is not clapping for Vriska returning, definitely. Uh, I, I, I wonder, cause you were kind of talking about the, the writerly component here. I, it, this is, it's frustrating, I guess, for Vriska to come back, although not shocking in any way, mm-hmm. like truly the least shocking thing I've ever said. If you told me that Vriska could come back on any given panel, I would believe you because mm-hmm. it, it has happened so many times at this point. <laughs> Uh oh! There's a snail beneath the bush over there. Let's. Oh my God! The snail is Vriska. It's got one eyeball. <laughs> like who knows, right? Right. Uh, but but the thing that that it was disappointing to me, or like when it happened, I was like, oh, f- 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 uh, was because that it, we feel it feels like we're on the off ramp. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like things are tidying up. John's going around the universe, you know, fixing things or making things in such a way. And lo and behold, it seems like what we have learned here. I mean, tell me if you if this is uh, the wrong thing to take from this. But it seems like what we're meant to take from this is that Terezi believes that Vriska is, you know, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope to go back to the, the good fandom. Uh, you know, the, no problems there with that fandom whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the good, the good source text, right? But that... Terezi's final ditch effort for fixing all of this was actually going back and resetting things so that their leader could have been Vriska, the only person who can, like, deal with this problem. Is that not what we're meant to take from this? That seems to be the situation, yeah. Right, okay. Right? Like- and that's disappointing, right? It's it's disappointing that, like, all of Vriska's bullshit about being the most capable, blah, 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 which then gets its own melodrama arc about, like, well, am I really the most capable? And that, which has happened, like, literally four times uh that exact mechanism of of assertion then like self-loathing self-defeating whatever it just looks like we're teed up for that one more time Mm -hmm. uh and that that the boisterous rude Vriska was was the true savior the whole time and maybe that won't work up maybe my expectations will get uh exploded here that that certainly could happen but that seems to be Teresi's argument which just doesn't feel right i don't know that it feels out of step with many other things mm-hmm. uh, that are going on now, including the fact that, like, we're, it, it just doesn't feel like a thing that gets us to the conclusion of this, right? It feels like a thing that adds, like, a bunch more speed bumps between here and whatever final battle that we're going for, where some people are alive and some people are dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, presumably someone goes and rescues a bunch of uh, dead kids from <laughs> the Aether. Uh, <laughs> but maybe they were never really dead at all now. Uh, I don't I don't know. I don't know what, like, the the stakes are. Yeah, it's a a pretty unclear even in the thread. People are wondering about like the status of the dead Vriska, who we see hanging out with Mina. Uh, And again, like just might have glossed over that a little quickly in my summary because it it is like a couple of panels that you just see. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like she and Mina are out there having like a lesbian romance in the dream bubbles. Mm-hmm. So we've got these like two takes on Vriska. One old school Vriska returned from uh, uh, the past and this uh, like the other Vriska, the Vriska who died at that point, uh, often the dream bubbles becoming a different sort of character, or at least like, you know, different aspects of that character are coming to the surface. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's unclear at this juncture 
what has happened with like Dream Bubble Vriska at the very least. Uh, well, I wonder uh, if there's going to be some sort of uh, confrontation here between an earlier version of oneself who is perhaps less mature and less capable of taking on the world. Uh, and yet has had major impacts on it that have to be responded to by an older, uh, more mature version of the self who has to then pick up the pieces that the uh, younger self put down uh, and do something positive with them in order to end this big story. That would be weird. That would be weird. It'd almost be like there's some sort of author stand-in coming in here. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Thank God there's none of those. <laughs> Thank God. Thank, Thank God. God we don't have any of those in here. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, we, we can get to that. Uh, but just some more points on just like the experience again of uh, reading this comic and sort of reading the way people were responding to it via updates in the thread. Um, mm. There are so much like uh, I almost said ink spilled, but that's not Right. I guess pixels spilled. Uh, um, the, uh, uh, keyboards clacked. Keyboards clacked. All right. There's so many keyboards clacked in the thread. Uh, as pe- Like every uh, change that John makes, which again, by the way, if you're not reading along, it, it the mechanism is the same as the previous where you uh, get a, a password. It sends you back to a place in the comic. Uh, you click on some question marks and that takes you to a password page. You put in the password and you get like a new outcome. And so again, if you were reading this on the website, you would see all of these uh, fort choices uh, from the beginning as you were reading the comic. And can I can I ask you a clarifying question before we move on from that? Sure. Uh, the so is it like the previous ones in that there were no question marks until the day the update came down? Or did all these question marks get introduced at one time and then the passwords were introduced later? Uh, the question marks, if I'm recalling this correctly, the question marks came up on the days that those updates were posted. Got it. Okay. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's another thing that the reader uh, is doing is that it chooses to hide those forks from you uh, until until you get to the point in the narrative where it actually points you back around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, one thing happens per day and then people in the thread spend the next day or next two days. I think by this point, Hussey is doing a, um, update schedule. I think it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, and how they're presenting this actually is how they're showing like when, when the comic is updating is they have a, a little calendar on the website and they have marked the days where there are going to be updates with little horse silhouettes. This has been going on for several months at this point. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. I haven't mentioned it up until now, but like we've gotten to the point in the thread where people are talking about the horse calendar. So, uh, so you know, it's like uh, an update hits, we get a day off. People sort of speculate. Another update hits, we get a day off. People sort of speculate, and so on. Uh, and some of the things that come out of this are interesting because for that day and a half that there is no update or whatever. People are just like, well, what the hell does this mean? Uh, because Homestuck has trained the reader, uh, the readership, in this logic of like stable time loops um, that John's power is explicitly positioned as a thing that like uh, uh, short circuits stable time loops. They don't need to exist. Uh, so there's not this like law of conservation where like every change made is actually always already accounted for. And it's going to turn out uh, that something we we already saw was a consequence of a thing that we're getting ready to see and so on. Um, that 
is not applying to what John is doing, and nevertheless, like, the form of the logic is still, like, active in the fandom. So in the thread, people are, well, and this is also, I think, just, like, a basic uh, uh, question of, like, what is happening here in terms of, like, narrative causality, uh, because people are like, well, okay, so John's gone back and, like, taken this ring. Does that mean that Gamzee doesn't get the ring later, meaning Arania doesn't come back to life and then we don't get the Doomed Timeline? Which is kind of the point, but then, like, what does that mean for the Doomed Timeline? Obviously, some people are really upset that uh, so much of the stuff that has happened is now being positioned as a... Uh, like lesser narratively as one person puts it uh there are three and a half years of content in question uh which is a real like yeah isn't that a isn't that a a, a sentence that sends a chill down your spine someone complaining that there are 3.5 years of content in question yeah it is also kind of interesting that this is a, a a comic that has spent a huge amount of time like a huge amount of time saying uh if a thing happened and it doesn't matter, it still happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like character-wise, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have all of these characters, right? We get, you know, G- Dave gets his own uh, set of soliloquies about this, right? <laughs> about you know when doom timelines occur or when uh, nullified events occur, you know, the dead and the dying or the dream bubbles explode or whatever, right? Like the experiences that one had when one was there or in those things, they still mattered. They were still important. Uh, and, and so it's, I guess it's interesting to me that, I mean, I, it is perhaps annoying, right? For the big reset to happen like this. I don't find it interesting narratively. Like I, I think it is a, um, I think it's probably an expedient maneuver, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a world in which you need to get all, you know, you have, you have to complete the offering for Homestuck. My solution, of course, that I constantly suggest and, and which Hussey, thankfully in the past has taken my advice, uh, is just kill everybody. Um, <laughs> but the perhaps a more elegant solution that, that they have also taken here is make sure that no one existed to begin with. Right. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's partially uh, one way of, of avoiding some of the consequences of, of narrative choices that are made here. Um, but you know, right. Like it just, it's, it rings a little false to me. And, and maybe this is something that lots of people are believing, or maybe this is something that just, you know, a few people do, but like, the comic has given you a lot of ammunition for thinking through, like, all right, well, if if you had the experience, but it didn't matter, then what does it mean? And I think that's one of the big themes of Homestuck uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a broad sense. And so to me, it's like not um, character wise uh, uncalled for. It doesn't it doesn't obliterate anything because uh, all that stuff still happened right in the terms of phenomenal reading experience in the terms of. Uh, you know, some of the characters still have those memories. John still has those memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, presumably, Dream Bubble people or the dead still have uh, some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It just it feels like you're missing the forest uh, for the trees. You know what I mean? Or actually, you're you're missing the trees for little teensy bushes or something. Uh, <laughs> you know, I guess they still have access to the forest there. But interesting fan response. Yeah, and there's also like a. a- you know, people trying to parse through uh, on when John leaves that message for Terezi, you don't or no, yeah, uh, after the conversation with Carcat, you don't need him. Uh, people are like, well, who's him there? Uh, does that mean 
Karkat, because Karkat is the person that uh, she just finished speaking with, which, of course, would be like the sensible thing to think here uh, based on context. Uh, but then people in the thread are like, or maybe it's about Dave. Maybe maybe it's talking about Dave because Dave was another person that uh, uh, Terezi was interested in. Or maybe it's Gamzy because Gamzy is another person that Terezi ends up in a relationship with who would also be described as him. Uh, and then a few updates later, uh, John actually ends up writing Terezi a longer note where he is asking those precise questions. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's so mm-hmm. interesting, so fascinating. And it's, again, like the the beautiful homestuck conundrum of like, did Hussey just happen to think through that on like John's terms and pre-write it? Or is there like actual like uptake of fandom response here? Because one of the things that I thought in the thread, and I remember this historically, when people started saying like, well, who does him mean? I was like, why are you even asking this question? Like, the only him that Terezi knows at this point in the narrative is Karkat. I mean, not the only him, right? But, like, the only mm-hmm. him who matters in the specific context. Uh, nevertheless, right, this is this is how the story goes. Yep. And then, uh, I, I guess the other thing about all of these retcons that's really interesting is, like... It, this is not the way that the only way that this could have happened, by which I mean uh, John popping in and like punching Vriska in the face, because so many of kind of the early uh, uh, interventions that John is being asked to make are very small. It's almost like he's supposed to keep himself kind of hidden and do things without Terezi noticing him. Uh, and then by the end, he's like leaving whole letters to her and then like appearing in places he shouldn't and just like knocking Vriska out. So it's a real mm-hmm. active kind of insertion into events. And I'm just like floating this as an alternative, right? Uh, there could have been a version of this story where what John does is he goes back and he like very sneakily changes all these tiny things so that uh, the outcome is characters make different choices that uh, uh, so the the. Obviously, I think one of the things that we can read from the choices or the the changes he's making with regard to like Terezi's investigation is he uh, breaks the idea that Terezi is set on back in Act 5, Act 2, that Vriska is the one who's murdering everyone and reveals that it is Gamzee who is murdering most people. Vriska only murdered one people. Uh, so, like, does that, does away <laughs> that, with that. <laughs> that panel of Gamzee being discovered. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just like staring with these giant eyes uh honk uh so like that's one thing that happens so you know the, the that means that when uh Therese goes into that confrontation perhaps she's not as uh uh violent or like uh, aggressive toward Riska, and there's a path forward from there uh but Riska, it turns out is we can assume because this is not like textually stated still dead set on going out and fighting uh jack mar herself uh, which, as we learned back then, would bring him back to the meteor and he would kill everyone nonetheless. So despite her own softening, Terezi is forced in this position of uh, having to do something with Riska, which is through her seer of mind powers, uh, by her own reckoning, uh, narrowed down to just like stabbing Vriska in the back as Vriska prepares to leave. Um, and so John pops in knocks Vriska out so she can't leave, uh, and that's what resolves the issue. And what I think is, I don't know, 
worth pondering there is again this idea of the subtler change. Like, why is it that the changes in Terezi's circumstance did not result in a Terezi who was willing to say to Vriska, like, why don't you stay, like, mm -hmm. for me? Or for us, like, you know, why is it that uh, all these changes get made, but also they don't really have any consequence in what the final choice is, which is whether or not to stab Vriska in the back, right? It has to be John's kind of like hard interdiction uh, that uh, uh, results in this change. Um, I don't know, something to ponder, I suppose. Yeah, I guess that that is interesting that really you could have skipped all the steps before the final one. Right. Like, none of them mattered. Right. Well, as far as we know right now. Maybe they'll matter later. Right. For Terezi. Right, right, right. Uh, so, you know, that's, like, those are those are mm -hmm. things that I'm thinking about, but also, like, this is part of the the, the timeline stuff, right? Like, the, the sense mm -hmm. that because there doesn't have to be this conservation of uh, all of the little ins and outs, that the changes John makes are just kind of, they can be fully arbitrary in ways that they don't result in doomed timelines. Uh, if it seems like it changed something that should have happened uh, that was important, uh, it still happened just in another way. Like, fill in the blank yourself, right? Uh, Homestuck's mm -hmm. old standby. Yep. <laughs> well, how do people fill in the blanks here? Uh, they're not. Not at this point, because they're still like they're still expecting all of the blanks to be filled in by the comic. Oh, I see. So they're saying, let's wait, let's wait. Yes, right. There's all we'll there, see what happens. There's a lot of waiting to see how this uh, uh, plays out. Uh, people are wondering if there are going to be revelations that are going to like show how all of this stuff happened, right? Like uh, they're wondering, like, did Vriska still go into the dream bubbles? Uh, you know, which she did after she died, uh, and discover uh, Caliborn's MacGuffin that John reached through and that gave him the retcon powers initially, right? Uh, and right. and one of the definitional things about the retcon power uh, is that you because it's the retcon power, it's not beholden to its own sort of prior circumstances, like because it's a retcon. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but that's a thing that some people in the thread are kind of pushing on <clears throat> me. Um, but... Uh, other folks are still kind of like waiting for the like like let what let's wait and see what gaps get filled in. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then yes, then we get another three month hiatus. The mini pause. Yes, the mini gigapause. Uh, which is, I mean, it it is what it is. It's less uh long than the previous pause and uh -huh. notably less uh cantankerous maybe because it is shorter uh but also well, and announced too right <laughs> well yes announced and uh d doesn't seem it's going to be well the the giga pause was announced as well but it, it, <laughs> it was it called the mini giga pause to begin with uh this one yes hussy yeah. is like i so, think yeah. i mean implicitly it's not going to be a year right <laughs> uh uh and i you know notably people in the thread are really coming around on paradox space like they don't just constantly complain whether there's a paradox space update now they're kind of like more in the spirit of it um oh i, I didn't realize so paradox space is ongoing while all this is occurring yes oh i thought it was just gigapod i thought it was done no but you're saying it is not done yeah it it goes up uh, through nearly the end of the comic proper, I think, uh, stopping either just before or just after. Interesting. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Yeah. Um, there are also people in the thread, of course, who are taking a fairly conciliatory approach to all this because they're saying, like, I've been in this fandom long enough that I know that no matter what Hussy does, like, someone's going to get upset by it. Mm-hmm. Like, right. just like, I'm just kind of here to see what happens because I think, like, Hussy's in this really weird position, right? No matter what Hussy does, someone ends up unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, also, uh, Vriska Mina age gap discourse. Vriska Mina age gap discourse. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that, this, this is my Manchurian candidate <laughs> <laughs> uh, activation phrase. Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, sure, I guess. Yeah, it's because... It's I don't know how old any of these people... You know what I mean? Like, I don't... Right. I'm glad someone's got the numbers written down, but I don't... They're dead also. Like, I don't... They theoretically they've existed in uh, in dead zone for eternity at this point. I also uh, Hussey's like down there bleeding to death slash eternally at the moment of death. So like I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just I I note it just because it feels like on the one hand some these these conversations about like age differences between characters have been there from the beginning, but they do take on this mm-hmm. like sudden central concern here. Uh, specifically with regard to Mina and Vriska, uh, because when Vriska is introduced, she is like the troll equivalent of 13. Uh, and I think Mina is when, when she died, she was the troll equivalent of, I think 16 or something. Um, so people have lots of questions about this, but then like to your point, what you said is that like, it seems like when everyone is in the dream bubbles, they have existed for billions of years already. That's, that's a thing that said multiple times about like Mina's cohort of trolls is that they've been there for a long, long time. So they're effectively, you know, like millennia old, whatever. Okay. Um, (laughs) The uh, yeah okay yeah whatever whatever people gotta argue about yeah. I think that's fine and they're like, uh, but uh, <laughs> the uh, but uh, yeah it does seem also they are uh, they've all <laughs> they're like outfits they're all like in the warriors now <laughs> yes like Briska and Mina you know what I mean like they're they're in the coolest version of like the eighties mm-hmm. well and very much uh, uh Briska's got like the undercut right the like. Yeah, the mid uh, 2010s, like undercut uh, uh, fad craze, whatever, like that's like yeah. now hit. Uh, and so Vriska's got like the, you know, sh- shaved on the one side. She's got like Mina style braids. Uh, very. They're both very punk looking. They've got piercings yeah. and tattoos. Yeah, they're cool now. Mm-hmm. They're cool teens. Cool teens. They're cool gay teens. Yeah. Yeah, Hussey has promised uh, the the readership a uh, gay singularity. Is that, is that true? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's in response to, I think, a tweet that Shelby <laughs> makes, maybe. Shelby and maybe one someone else on the art team, because they're, like, responding to the updates, and they're having, uh, y- you know, feelings about it. They're like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, this thing with, with Riska and Mina. Uh, and Hussey responds, and like, just wait, like, Homestuck will have a gay singularity. That's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's that's kind of that stuff. And so we go through that break, and then after three months, we get Caliborn's masterpiece, some of the finest content this website has ever hosted. 
It's I I I gotta say this about Caliborn's masterpiece. Communicating that there's a little robot bunny mm-hmm. in that amount of clay <laughs> is impressive. <laughs> like that's artistry involved. That's all I have to say about it. All right, that's that's all you have. No, no remarks about. I, I don't. I don't like the conceit. I don't yeah. like the conceit that uh, that Caliborn is going to pre-mediate the entire ending of the thing for you, so you know about it. So when it inevitably happens, it perhaps doesn't go that way. I don't know. I don't actually know how this is going to work out. I don't like this like little future telling thing. Mm-hmm. This is also a device that's been used repeatedly throughout the comic. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me tell you what's going to happen. Whoa, it happened. <laughs> well, it's really interesting, right? Because this is how this is how he describes it. Um, <clears throat> this is on page seventy-four, twelve. Uh, the tale my masterpiece describes is basically a spoiler to the ending of things. It takes place in a future moment, long beyond when we, you, or I have any business seeing what happens. But I found out and learned of this spoiler. I saw it once on one of my planet's many screens, the Land of Colors and the Land of Mayhem. It knows all, and it will show anything to any man who is willing to find the right key. And it turns out that just such a man is the man that is me. So, like, uh, uh, rhyming there uh, aside, um, I think that what is really interesting about, like, this whole deal is that Caliborn is presenting this as like something he he did through his own gumption, right? Like I, I uh, expended the effort, I did whatever on my quest, and like saw this spoiler, uh, and I'm going to present it to you as my final triumph. Um, but I also here think of what you've said uh, specifically about like uh, back when Vriska is holding up all those treasure maps that are just like, they just look like broken panes of glass, right? And people are looking at the cracks mm-hmm. in the panes of glass and trying to derive meaning from them. Uh, here we have Caliborn, who is a character positioned uh, to constantly be looking at screens. And again, the uh, uh, the resonances of the actual experience of reading Homestuck, I think, should be noted here, right? Like, what is mm-hmm. the experience of reading Homestuck, but looking at a screen and clicking forward through what Caliborn calls these story rectangles. And those story rectangles themselves <laughs> very often are diegetically positioned to be, like, views from screens. So you're constantly looking at screens. Uh, and... Caliborn looks at enough screens in his land of colors and mayhem uh, and, you know, the the thing that he says, it will show anything to any man who is willing to find the right key. So uh, perhaps I think there's some sense here of uh, uh, what I've called before Homestuck's kind of interface effect, uh, uh, referencing to Galloway, this idea that... uh, what you bring to Homestuck is going to determine what comes out of it. Uh, that uh, uh, you you will. I've also talked about this with regard to like the way that it works with fandom, right? That the um, Homestuck is this text that like begs for you to like overwrite the text itself with your own response to the text uh, to, by filling in those gaps by like. Uh, generating these really strong relationships with specific characters or sort of like strong headcanons about them or what have you, Um, and then treating that as the basis from which you understand the rest of the story. Uh, 
I don't know if this is like accurate. I wouldn't say necessarily that this was all like part of Hussey's plan, but it is uh, to me, I think, a real way that Homestuck operates and one of the things that I think is really fascinating about it. Right, right. Um, so, well, that's weird. What's weird? Uh, what, what is, what month is it, Cameron? It's... Currently? Yeah, currently. Currently, it looks like it's November, right? Uh, As we're recording? Uh, let me, let me, hold on, let me look. Um, let's see. Uh, Halloween. Uh, Christmas. Nope, that's too far. All right. Uh, uh, yeah, it is. Okay, okay, yeah. And I'm, yeah, it's November. November, and I'm checking our show doc here. It looks like this mm-hmm. episode isn't going to post until December. So that's strange, because I have a calendar here on my wall. For January 2023. Uh, uh-huh, yeah. Huh. And I don't remember putting up this calendar, but it's still there. And it's turned to January 2023. And across hmm. it, in giant uh, pink letters, is written this very strange message. It says, 8-2, Michael's Big Reveal. And then there's like a clownish smiley face underneath. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. That's that's back when you revealed many things to me, and then we uh, cut it out for a comedy. Oh, oh, huh. Well, that's... Yeah, new. back in 8-2. Yeah, back, back in, in Partisode 8-2. Back in Partisode 8-2. I wonder what it was that it uh, that we talked about and that I cut. Um, do, you, do you want to know something really funny about that? What? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> like, that... honest to God, I have no idea what you told me. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's really interesting, because this calendar... Uh, it's very strange. Now that I'm getting a closer look at it, this calendar that I don't remember setting up, it's in fact the 2023 Spirited Horse calendar with photographs uh-huh. by Bill Stromberg, and it shows a a, a, a whole herd of majestic stallions uh, stampeding through a, a, a dusty cloud, and overlooking it is my official maple hoof. Uh, Homestuck plush that played a central role in Vault Jaunt, the fan adventure that I uh, ran on our Twitter page before I uh, started this podcast. And then I have in my hand this uh, this tape recorder with with a tape inside of it that says play me. And I think that's mm-hmm. I think it's very ironic that this thing would appear in my hand in the presence of some horses. So that's interesting. I think you're going to need to. um let me see. I think I'm going to have to take a photograph of that and put it on the internet. <laughs> I think you're going to have to take a picture of that, that tape recorder when this episode comes out with a little tape in it that says, play me, and probably cartoonish uh, green and red letters. <laughs> I can see it on the video chat right now, yeah. so I know it's real, and I'm going to need you to take a photograph of it. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, I will do that, and uh, uh, for the time being, uh, I'll just, you know, uh, edit in whatever this tape has to say uh, right here. Wait, can, can, can we pause for one second? Yeah. I don't know if we should do this. I mean, you don't have to edit the, the top thing out. I just wonder if there are ways of, of doing this that don't kind of fuck up the the process of the show, right? Okay. Um, can you yeah. extra episode it without me? Hmm. The problem is your reaction is kind of going to be a part of this. <laughs> hmm. Or it could be. Let me think. Let me think through this. Because, like, I mean, so the thing is, like, in like, 
to yeah, you tell me now and then let's figure this okay. out. Let's go back. All right. So let's do it. <clears throat> um uh Here's how here's how I have this sketched out, how this would work is I have written out what is what is the thing that I figure out? Um, what I figured out was Lord English's Caliborn self insert. Caliborn, who represents the bad reader at some later point in the narrative, gains control of it and retcons um, himself into the rival author, Doc Scratch, uh, who becomes Lord English. And Lord English has now killed Andrew Hussey and is setting out to achieve total dominion over Homestuck by destroying everything uh, that is not the story of himself, i.e. the Dream Bubbles, i.e. fandom. Wow, I got pretty close. Yeah. Um. So... That's that's like what I figure out. And uh, then I have this whole bit written out here that I will do uh, where I have been laying clues to this throughout the entire thing, uh, because the reason I figured it out is because this never ending story to me. Caliborn is doing what I wanted to do at the beginning of Homestuck. And this flash where he enters the game, it all clicks together for me. And I realize like that Hussey has taken uh, that anti-fan desire and animated it as as this character in the story. <sighs> all right. This is how I think we should do it, because otherwise because that does kind of blow up the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Like in, in some ways. If if we go whole hog and do that, we should just record the rest of the episodes in like three episodes and then just drop them all at one time, uh, because that does kind of like negate the reason for doing the rest of the show. Right. right. From a, a listener perspective. Right. This is how I think we should resolve it. OK. I think we should record this right now. OK. And then we should put a bumper in that says we just recorded Michael's big review. OK. <laughs> which we will only give you in January of next year. Okay. All right. And then we can insert all that audio into the thing. Okay. <laughs> right. Which like doubles down on like commitment to the, to the show, right. but does not literally obliterate the rest of the reason for doing the show. Right. No, I think that's good. And this is kind of like a problem that I've been trying to think through as well is like how to do this because yeah, like once I figure this out and like over the next four years of comic, as it becomes extremely clear that this is in fact true, right? Hussey has basically uh, inverted the never ending story. (laughs) Um, What if we just keep, I mean, we're still recording. Yeah. What if we just keep all of this in? Like, what if this is the episode? Like everything from where I said, hold on. Let's not do this up through right now and then in through what you just said. You know what I'm saying? So I so right now, right, like four minutes ago, I said, hold on. We just met. We make an edit point there Mm -hmm. and we keep all of this in. Okay. To like some episode we release in January. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Oh, okay. And now you've already said the thing. It already happened. Okay. (laughs) And now you got a bit you're going to do. And that will also be in the episode Some, somewhere in January. Okay. Ow, fuck. <laughs> Keep that in, too. You're okay. Sorry, I had to reconnect a cable there. Did you say anything? <laughs> <laughs> I said you got to keep that in, too. <laughs> okay, I will. So, wait, hold on. Now I'm thinking through... Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking through... I want to make sure that this bit... Uh, so, I mean, how this bit works, right, is I reveal all of the, uh, inform, like, reveal, quote unquote, I point back to all the times where I mentioned that I was a bad fan, and then I conclude by saying I'm Caliborn, basically, right? Uh, I outline that in doing this show, 
I am doing precisely what the bad fan does, which is uh, I I like uh, fight against the author, try to commandeer the narrative and how it works and, uh, you know, just ceaselessly trash talk or whatever. Right. Mm. Mm. Right. Yes. Yes. Homestuck. So I think I so I yeah, just to reiterate. This is the episode. We're doing the January episode right now. Yes. We've been in it the whole time. Okay. Every from, everywhere from where I said, hey, let's not do this, until this very thing that I'm saying here, this is all in the episode. Okay. <laughs> You've already talked through the bit more than one time, and now we're doing the bit. Go into the bit. Okay, we're going to go into the bit then. And you should edit in all the other audio here, too, of like in the previous episodes where you've done this. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No, I have it. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. I have I have a script here. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Great. Um, wait a minute. Cameron, do you hear that? Uh, what's that? Uh, it, it's music. It sounds like some really ominous music, like the sort of thing that would accompany a mind-blowing plot twist. music because if not we'll probably get a takedown notice actually you know what doing this voice without the music is kind of not really working maybe i should just just do it regularly yeah you yeah, just go back, go back to, to doing voice. it regularly okay okay yeah uh we are going to play a game it's called how many obvious clues in my internet radio program about a comic book farce for computer children did you totally overlook and as every instance of your willful ignorance is put on display, you will have time to reflect on a lifetime spent listening to internet radio programs. I can see your mouth watering already as your slack-jawed faces yawn wide for the delicious red herrings I am about to grill for your hungry ears. So let's start with the largest herring of all. In Partisode 3-3, you were introduced to a character named Historical Michael, who was described as a remarkable and beloved badass. 2010, Michael, thought fandom was the stupidest thing in the world. Of course, you were led to believe that this premium boss died because the world is unjust and unfair to awesome winners. But in being led to believe this terrible idea, you also perpetrated a Bush League bumble. You turned your back on the body. You know, there, there's something uh, uh, appealing to me about Caliborn in the sense that, like, you know, this bizarre feeling of, like, the worst aspects of yourself getting ripped out and, like, shoved into this children's novelty. No. I can't unleash Clown Michael. Not again. I love being strong. The ruse, patently obvious in hindsight, when embarrassingly undetected. For who is it that has for the past several unbearable dozens of hours attempted to wrest control of this so-called story from the slippery orange hands of its buffoonish demiurge by doing symbolic deicide constantly through brutal critique and, let's be honest here, unrelenting outperformance. Andrew Hussey enters the narrative and provides a recap of Homestuck up to now, which you don't need because you are lucky enough to have me. Hussey begins to write another plot recap, but gives up because I guess some people just aren't cut out for this. 
How long have you not seen what your very eyes show you? Months ago on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash rangetouch, where there are many fine examples of lettuce plays and critical discussions of video games, there was posted a documentary film entitled Just King Things Goes to the Shining Opera, where your contemporary Michael, who is me, is constantly seeing wearing various shirts, which is his habit and also mine, but there is one shirt in particular that I think you will find familiar. And here I'm supposed to send you a picture, which I'm going to do uh, very briefly here. So, peep that, Cameron, in the shirt that I'm wearing. Oh my gosh! <laughs> What I have made is a pun because the you who are finding the shirt familiar are recognizing the you design on the shirt itself that I am wearing. That sounds sort of confusing. I am wearing Caliborn's shirt, which has a letter U graphic on it, is the point. Come to think of it, visual evidence is not very good for an auditory medium. Whatever. Let's consider this my one and only fuck-up in an otherwise immaculately arranged series of mind-blowing revelations. Such as this final piece of top-tier ocular proof, and it is the best kind of ocular proof because it works even if you cannot see it, but you already know it is there. This is the framed paper on my office wall that proclaims me to be nothing less than a doctor of English. What, what do you think of Doc Scratch? Because I have so much to say about it. You spent countless hours listening. Look, I'm a sucker for it. A sucker, yeah. A sucker, a sucker, a sucker. Ha 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 ha. So now you see the final bamboozlement laid out before you to listen to and weep about as you come to realize that in my interpretation, I am the bad reader. It's me. Uh, are you looking at Discord right now? I am. All right. I'm going to turn on the camera. I'm wearing Caliborn cosplay <laughs> while we've been recording <laughs> this entire time. <laughs> uh, God damn it. So there we go. <laughs> uh, get a picture of this uh, for for uh, uh, everyone whenever this uh, actually goes into the feed. <laughs> I got it. I got a picture. Good. Good. So that was a hell of a thing. Uh, wow, what a revelation. My mind is spinning. You did it. I did it. I did it. I predicted the end of Homestuck, and I predicted it with 100% accuracy, except the confirmation of my prediction comes 500 pages before the end. So it just might mean that my 100% accurate prediction might, in fact, be 100% wrong. Oh, no. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. Gee whiz. I can't believe I knew the end the whole time and for, had forgotten. I know, it's really, it's actually one of the great benefits of you being my podcasting partner here. Mm -hmm. my, my relative disinvestment about Homestuck when I'm not talking about it. Right. Um, 
Uh, and, and you'll notice that in my uh, presentation of the ending, as I described it in, in the recording that you just heard, uh, you know, there, you might quibble with some of the ways that I, I phrased the things that uh, Caliborn, say, gains control of uh, uh, the story, right, and inserts himself mm-hmm. into it. Uh, it might actually look like from your perspective that Caliborn has somehow been punished, that uh, the other characters uh, with a kind of greater retcon ability have in fact retconned him as punishment into the story uh, as part of this plan to, I don't know, combat or defeat him. But in that case, you have to uh, uh, remember that Caliborn is saying he wants to do all this anyway. And so really, it's all to his benefit. Um, But for real. (laughs) Uh, to understand my relationship to Homestuck, uh, I got to talk about Caliborn and I got to talk about uh, the moment when Caliborn entered the game back in 8-2. Uh, I already t- described that a little bit in the recording, uh, but just to sort of outline and clarify some of the things that uh, you as the listener may have uh, bouncing around in your head. Um, obviously, Caliborn, like as a character, as like a person is extremely shitty. This is not me saying that like Caliborn is awesome and secretly the hero. Um, but to understand like why uh, people talk or like why do I talk about Homestuck? This is the way to put it, right? Um, people have historically asked me, like, is it worth reading Homestuck? Like, you know, should I read it? And my response is always, I do not know. Um, Like, I can't tell you whether or not you're going, you, any other person, if you are going to get something out of reading Homestuck, uh, because ultimately the, the coolest thing that I got, the thing that justifies all of Homestuck to me is a highly weird coincidental uh, experience of the serial reading that is over and gone, gone forever. And part of this show has always kind of in the background, even before we really started it, I knew I was going to do something with this, um, trying to explain uh, as best as I could through reconstruction exactly how this works out for me. So I've been pretty honest with y'all about how I started out in Homestuck as being this kind of uh, shitty anti-fan and that Homestuck itself plays this role in me starting to understand the possibilities of fandom and kind of uh, warming up to, to fandom production in general. So imagine what it's like to be me, right? This little anti-fan in two... Th- okay, hold right? on. Okay. Give me a second. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm imagining it. Mm-hmm. Uh, underground bunker. Yes. Uh, loves pomegranates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Engaged to Hades, got, Lord of the Dead. Yep. Got some cats. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> got to use. You got to use a vacuum cleaner to scare one. <laughs> um, that's that's, that's a, a prominent part of your life. Mm-hmm. Having having to ward off <laughs> your your uh, feline offspring with a vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me, let me, uh, can, can remember things important, Mm -hmm. extremely important. Okay. Uh, all right, good. Yeah. All right. I'm imagining being you. Okay, great. So, uh, little, little Michael 2009, uh, Oh, I got to imagine little Michael. I know you jumped the gun. You really jumped the gun. Ah, Fuck. You got to go back to 2009 for this. All right. Uh, light libertarian impulse. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Uh, but importantly, coming not... out of a very heavy libertarian impulse. In fact, coming right. out of my anarcho-capitalist area or era. Okay, so, great. Yeah, great, great. Okay, all right. Uh, markets maybe don't need to be free. I, let me get in there. Okay, yeah. 
All right. Uh-huh. But but they probably should be, but maybe they don't need to be. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Taco Tuesday, best part of, part of life. Got to get to the calf, get that Taco Tuesday in. Mm-hmm. Uh, has not read uh, uh, Cervantes yet. No, I haven't. All right. All right. Important. That's a big marker for most of us. All uh-huh. right. Let's see here. And uh, all right, I'm good. Okay. So... 2009, I'm this uh, uh, little, like, 20-something undergrad, uh, kind of, kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm very online. I've, I've talked about this, like, spent a long time being online, uh, end up getting interested in MSPA. Uh, because of Problem Sleuth, which is like this fun text adventure thing. We move into Homestuck. I'm kind of paying attention to it. Uh, I get really interested in Homestuck as the plot starts to escalate. And then, uh, as I talked about way back in, you know, whatever part episode that was, uh, let's say, yeah, it would have been 3-3. Um, uh, uh, that moment with uh, the ectobiology reveal and kind of the big fandom blow up in Homestuck happens. And as someone who is like trolling fandom secrets constantly and sort of like keeping tabs on like which fans I think are like the most hilarious and like pathetic and so on, um, the way that Homestuck like seems to inflame uh, these kinds of negative fan reactions is at first very interesting to me, very cool to me. So like I am full on on board and then very quickly and sort of surprisingly to me. Uh, over the course of like Act Five and Act Five, Act Two, I find myself like uh, swinging around and becoming more interested in fandom and uh, sort of more willing to kind of just like live with it and like be a part of it. Right? I, I, my, my hostility toward fandom is reducing. I become instead very interested in Homestuck in this question of Lord English because that's the other thing that gets introduced here uh, after that kind of twist. Uh, And I'm interested in Lord English primarily because, as I think I've said before, it's doing something narratively or like it implies something narratively that seems, one, really difficult to me. Like, how do you have this uh, uh, villain who is like constantly existing in the future and like retconning his own existence? Like, what is what is happening here? Like, what are you going to do with this? And it's an escalation of these sort of meta elements that I think are, uh, aside from all anti-fandom sentiment, like also genuinely interesting about Homestuck. So uh, Lord English gets revealed and he's a giant skeleton monster with a bunch of muscles. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, okay. He's fucking cool. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Um, uh, you know, the the use of the website prior to that reveal with the I am already here, the flashing uh, letters and everything, that makes a big impression mm-hmm. on me and gets me thinking about, like, the structure of websites and how do websites tell stories, right? Well, stories are not just things that are in websites. Uh, like, the screen itself tells a story, communicates information, and can be used in various ways. So you see uh, the start there of me uh, uh, learning how to make twine games, essentially. Uh, but I continue reading Homestuck because I'm still interested in it. And like, what's going to happen? Then we get to the revelation of Caliborn um, when, when he actually gets named and everything. And I realize in that Flash animation of Caliborn Enter exactly the move that Hussey has pulled. Like, this is, again... I'm this person who starts out as this like very vociferous anti-fan. I then modulate that impulse. I eventually get introduced to this character, uh, you know, Calliope and Caliborn, who kind of switch off on these roles. Uh, but then it turns out that it's the Caliborn, the sort of like representation of the shitty fan. 
who uh, is the villain of the comic. This is my Hello Zep moment, right? This like younger version of myself or sort of uh, uh, a representation of certain attitudes that uh, I had when I was younger. Um, at a three-year remove, suddenly bubbles up in the comic again. And not just that, but like, it's the villain, right? This is like the the prankster's gambit between me and Andrew Hussey falls firmly in Andrew Hussey's favor, and it remains there until this day, uh, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, this incredible, like, uh, and to put no fine point on it, like this is one of the coolest experiences I've ever had with a piece of media. Like this feeling of uh, uh, unsettling. Um, and that's not to say that like I am literally Caliburn or anything. Like one of the things that this makes me start thinking through is like, why did I stop having those opinions? And we don't have to talk about that. That's like Michael's reflection on his entire life uh, 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 chat, different podcast. But uh, I, uh, Michael, yeah, I, I, I have to re- regretfully report to you mm-hmm. that Michael reflects on his life as in fact this podcast. Oh, no. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, it turns out, it turns out, uh, I realize, you might think, maybe it's Homestuck. Maybe Homestuck just had such a good fandom that it turned me around. No, I actually figure out, like, the internet is the problem. Mm, Right? It's the work of Ayn Rand. (laughs) Yeah, right. Atlas is going to shrug over here at some point. (laughs) Like, I uh, was, as I said, like, growing up online, uh, uh, very much throwing myself into online as kind of an alternative to uh, my actual house, the actual place where I lived, as if I were, you know, homestuck. (laughs) Uh, Some sort of alternia for your homestuck. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I get this, like, uh, uh, bizarre feeling of, like, oh, uh, I I switched away from these things, right? Like, I dropped these attitudes. Things happened in my life um, where basically I stopped being online as much, right? I I was still, like, hanging out in chat rooms and stuff when I was in college, but also I was, like, being drawn out into, like, social events, uh, uh, dealing with people like my roommates, like, this, that, and the other, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. In other words... I think I spent a long time being very, very depressed in a context where depression wasn't a thing that was recognized by the people around me. And then I moved into a new material context where I was allowed to be a different sort of person and allowed to express myself in ways that, I don't know, assuage some of the long-simmering resentments and anger that I'd been nursing for most of my life up until that point. Now, crucially... Caliborn is not about me. Caliborn is like Hussey having a, a million or more people uh, y- yabbering at them all the time. And some portion of them are like recognizable as this personality type that at one point could have included me. And so the recognition that I have is like, oh, there are structures in the world that make people the way that they are. And like the structures that made me the way that I was even though I turned away from them, that wasn't because of uh, my inherent goodness or like my inherent ability to like call bullshit. In fact, I was somewhat susceptible to bullshit. Um, But I got put into a context where those structures didn't have as much uh, power over me and over my life and how I was sort of like thinking about myself and my relationship to the world. So, you know, Michael's philosophy of life absolutely shifts uh, in response to Homestuck, but also like Homestuck is sort of a a, a, a minor point in that because uh, from there, you know, uh, divulges a whole politics or something. Uh, 
Then mm-hmm. uh, I spend the re- like after that point, that's basically when Homestuck ended for me when I was like, oh, OK, right. <laughs> this is like Caliborn's like the shitty little dude. He gets pulled into the story and like this is somehow going to end up being a punishment for him. Right. His his desire to insert mm. himself, to be the center of it, to be the one who makes the Lego racers go um, like two ways it can happen, right? In the same way that I figured out that uh, this retcon thing was going to happen with the never-ending story, uh, it was just like, that seemed to, like, looking at the big structure, there was one thing that seemed like it was a good explanation for what was happening. Not because of any particular insight, just sort of in, in terms of, like, how stories, like, beg their own questions. So at this point, like, one of two things is going to happen. Caliborn wins, which seems like it might be kind of shitty, or... Caliborn uh, is being punished or is going to like be shown up in a way that is unobvious now. So I just continue like reading Homestuck and I stick with it and sort of studying the fandom and seeing how things are going. And then we get to this final reveal of like how Caliborn gets put back into the comic. And it's uh, this wonderful uh, uh, like turn where we have souls of people getting stuck inside a children's toy uh, and then sent backward in time. And then this is itself like this. On one hand, this might be total bullshit, right? This might be a thing that like makes me hate Homestuck forever uh, because it is. uh, I can't remember. Actually, I think you just called it a pile of bullshit um, at the beginning of the episode. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Right. It's like it is. It's such an ass pull, right? It's so Calvin Ball. Like, all this stuff comes together, all of these characters are here, uh, and then all of their powers work out in this way, and it justifies everything that's happened. Whatever. Yep, yep. And then we get the Saw callback, which is like, the Saw jokes have been my favorite jokes in this comic, and so it's like this beautiful cherry on top of this extremely ambivalent Sunday that is homestuck for me. Uh... Well, like, uh, Caliborn, uh, as far as we know, mm-hmm. right, because we only get his perspective on this, and crucially, we don't really know what the actual outcome is, right? right. This is his, like, knowledge of, of the future. But uh, he is consigned, punished, if, if you consider it as a, as a punishment, mm-hmm. which probably I would, he is consigned to having to relive the events of Homestuck for eternity. Mm-hmm. Almost as if you were to, I don't know, reread the whole thing and then also read an entire forum thread and actually multiple forum threads dedicated to reading the whole thing that you yourself were posting in when you were making a podcast. <laughs> I, I, uh, I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> oh God. I love this. It's so wild, right? Uh, Hussy new. We're going to start that. Yeah, Hussy yeah. new. Hussy new. Hussy can tell the future. <laughs> uh, That's the new, uh, uh, Homestuck made this world like party line. <laughs> We like we're just gonna hussy knows <laughs> like whatever the thing is it doesn't matter yeah uh but really what this is one way I think the, of making sense of this outside of like my personal experience by the way when I I've said in previous partisodes that like no one has like guessed how I feel about this comic or like specifically what I'm referring to is uh people heard me in earlier partisodes say that I was really interested in the questions of Lord English. And then people would, their response was like, man, historical Michael was in for some real disappointments. Except ironically, no. <laughs> like, I love all of this. I think this is, like, fascinating and lovely and bizarre. And yes, it is bullshit. But, like, uh, 
by pure coincidence, right? I, it was like I was perfectly positioned to have each part of it hit in uh, just the right way to leave me extremely high on the whole thing. Uh, Would you say that uh, Homestuck really hit? Yeah. Yes. Would you say it hits different? Hits hits different if you're me. There you go. All right. <laughs> Just teen you up there. Yeah. Uh, but the other way to think about this outside of me is that uh, we can see this is the kind of culmination of Homestuck's gimmicks. Uh, again, we don't know this for sure, but it seems very plausible that uh, some sort of twist involving Lil Cal being like the the embodiment of all evil was maybe planned from the beginning uh because it is extremely obvious in fact like when lil cal first showed up C cameron you commented on how much you didn't like him yeah right i don't like it right i still don't uh from from the beginning even in the threads people have been making jokes like oh lil cal's absolutely going to be like some some evil force right like that has been a like from the beginning lil cal existed that has been a, a kind of uh, theory that's been floated always kind of half jokingly, but always half seriously. So when we get this final revelation, uh, we can perhaps wonder, uh, Hussey has talked about, for instance, uh, in the commentary on Problem Sleuth, um, Hussey knew how Problem Sleuth was going to end, like the specific move that would be made to end that comic, which involved uh, pushing the Snoop Dogg bust off a... a it was basically like, I knew that the Snoop Dogg bust was going to deal the, the final blow to the final boss, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. the entirety of Problem Sleuth becomes this massive Rube Goldberg machine of like moving characters and objects around uh, and also like, you know, improvising new situations, new characters and so on. Uh, but all to get to this point that was originally decided, which is this uh, this bust is going to fall and like deal the, the final blow. Right. I have like worked myself in this elaborate sort of uh, circle to get back to where I originally wanted uh, something like that may be at play here with little Cal as well. Um, that Lil Cal is introduced, and then uh, this raises some additional interesting questions about, like, what is all of the stuff between that introduction and, like, this revelation, right? What is the rest of Homestuck? Um, so the gimmick, again, uh, is all about this kind of, well, Homestuck's, Homestuck is made of multiple gimmicks, uh, but kind of the core or founding one is this idea of reader input, uh, one of the things Hussey has said about that is that when there were enough readers giving input, it became trivial. Like once you have so many hundreds of people giving you directions, you can just pick whatever direction you want in order to get to the outcome you have already decided internally as the author. So little Cal uh, can be a kind of case study here where so many convolutions of this narrative happen just to get little Cal to places little Cal needs to be. Right. Lil Cal is simultaneously like this plot device for like introducing evil or misfortune. Um, but also he's kind of the thing that makes the plot go. So once we get him in kind of this full circle, we can like and that's not a choice that the readers are making. Right. That's like a maneuver that Hussey is sort of doing behind the scenes. Uh, we see kind of the uh, uh, authorial arbitrariness laid bare. Uh, and the gimmick of Homestuck, the reader input, uh, is kind of laid up against what was you, you were putting an input and 
that was maybe having some sort of effect on the story, but what else was going on? What were the other kind of pieces being moved? Uh, and we end up in this place of uh, real ambivalence. Luckily, uh, a theorist named uh, Cyan Nye, uh, in her book, Theory of the Gimmick, Aesthetic Judgment in Capitalist Form, uh, has a lot to say about this. Uh, Nye walks through a kind of history of the gimmick, right, as an idea, as a, a kind of uh, way of describing particular pieces of art, especially, but also like consumer products. Uh, and she talks specifically about things like Rube Goldberg machines. She says gimmicks are always ambivalent. Uh, they are, and particularly in, in the case of uh, capitalism, which uh, she takes the gimmick to be a kind of... Uh, I don't know, almost like the the core uh, thing of, of the capitalist commodity in, in the contemporary age, because it's a thing that promises to save labor. Think here of, again, a Rube Goldberg machine, a, a vast contraption where you push a button, a whole bunch of things like run into each other. And then the outcome is like uh, some toast gets dropped into a toaster or something. So there's this promise of, like, labor-saving. You no longer have to uh, put your own toast in the toaster. Uh, but then when you see the actual, like, mechanism of it, the extent and the convolution of the mechanism uh, stands in such contrast to the output. Like, you did all of that just to put some toast in a toaster. So have you actually saved labor or have you actually intensified labor, right? The gimmick is a thing that simultaneously works too hard and too little. Uh, she also says that um, it makes uh, the operations of capitalism, on the one hand, extremely transparent, uh, but will also make them obscure. Uh, gimmicks are also singular, right? They're a, a thing that... Uh, happens just once. It's like unrepeatable or it's like uh, a, a thing of its moment, right? Uh, we th think here of like the outdated gimmick from like the 80s infomercial. That's a thing that was made and like has passed out of time. It's no longer needed. Uh, but also gimmicks seem to get uh, repeated forever. And she talks here about uh, jokes that are uh, funny, quote unquote, precisely because you tell them again and again and again, then you get tired of them. Uh, and then telling the the overtold joke becomes its own kind of joke. So <clears throat> uh, all of this is to say, uh, back on my point about should you read Homestuck, and I can't tell you that because Homestuck works out for me in such a specific way. That is because Homestuck for me is this gimmick. Uh, uh, Nye says, quote, We thus arrive at a feature that for all its simplicity distinguishes the gimmick, the way in which its judgment of aesthetic worth aligns with a judgment of economic worth. What the gimmick brings out is how this ostensibly neutral idea of a low production cost, like that of the reduced labor so frequently underlying it, becomes inextricable from the connotations of illegitimacy and deception in capitalist culture. So uh, Nye is here uh, working together uh, two kind of aspects of this argument. One about the gimmick as an actual like consumer commodity, uh, the Rube Goldberg contraption or what have you. And then mm -hmm. the gimmick as a particular feature of postmodern artwork where uh, like formal experimentation, uh, uh, 
actively incorporating the work of like postmodernist or post-structuralist theories into the story uh, is often called a gimmick, right? A thing that is uh, there just because it adds interest to the to the story uh, or is, attempt, is an attempt to get you interested in the story, but might also ultimately be a con job, right? It, it's a mm -hmm. it's a thing that is trying to get you invest, get you to invest. Um, but it might ultimately turn out to be just a trick on you. It's like it's something that's just added. Uh, and what Nye wants to point out is that uh, this is a capitalist logic. Like, is this piece of art uh, worth my time? And then the implicit uh, kind of claim there is or claim or question is, can I make this art productive for me? Can I make this aesthetic experience productive for me? Uh, and my way of reading Homestuck then, uh, is perhaps understanding it as ultimately about the anxiety of producing art in this kind of cultural context. What happens if you start making a silly webcomic and you're just kind of, you know, making silly jokes and like building this grand story, uh, and suddenly people get really serious about it and you don't know how to handle that. Like, how do you like what if you start to doubt yourself? Uh, uh, I'm psychologizing a bit here, but just, you know, think about it. Like if you have two million people who are telling you that you are making uh, the most incredible story, the most incredible piece of media that you that they've ever seen, that's going to like change the face of comics or whatever. Uh, and you personally are aware that like, oh, actually, I'm telling a story in which I'm like pushing a puppet around a game board and kind of like, you know, bouncing off my readership when that's interesting or like, you know, telling parts of the story that I think are interesting. Um Homestuck is very ambivalent about itself. It's constantly foregrounding itself as a potential waste of time, right? That's one of the repeated jokes here. Uh, it begins to dawn on you that everything you have done uh, might have been a waste of time. So it is an artwork that uh, is constantly undermining itself uh, in these terms of value. Maybe this is all just nonsense. Maybe there is no meaning here. Maybe any meaning that you come up with is a meaning that you've brought to it because of the way that you have uh, been positioned to interface with the artwork. Uh, we're, we're gimmicking, y'all. Mm -hmm. uh, it uh, transforms your interaction with the thing. I bet we'll have more to say about it later. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> one other thing to say about Nye here, right, is uh, the... Uh, she talks about gimmicks in literature. <clears throat> um, just as we have no term for the novel of ideas, uh, for the kind of novel in which we come to suspect the official ideas are traps in a way that reroutes our attention to its double voicing, so we have also no name other than allegory for a text so transparently allegorical that at a certain point it stops being so. Far from asking us to keep two discordant registers in sight at once, or to bend our imaginations beyond it, uh, its represented world to access its true signification, the text morphs into a self-interpreting do-it-all artwork. And she goes on to talk about um, how uh, another kind of late capitalist uh, move is for the work of art to start incorporating like the space of critique of itself. So that's another thing that Homestuck is doing here, and that's part of its gimmick, right? That's that's the reader response that the your response to Homestuck is a part of Homestuck. Uh, that's another form that this gimmick takes, and that is a uh, large form like what this podcast has been sort of complicit in, right? That uh, like I'm reconstructing my response to Homestuck uh in order to tell you about Homestuck, because 
at some point, like I have to acknowledge that as someone who was watching this thing, who was experiencing the, these things, um, I had particular perspectives on it that might not be universal. This is another Homestuck thing that I've talked about of building in the escape hatches to arguments. So here's the escape hatch that I've given you that if you have disagreed with anything that I have ever said on this show, it's fine because I'm the villain. I'm the Caliborn. I've taken the wrong approach to it, right? Um, there you go. Be free. Not me. You can't disagree with anything I ever say. Well, you got to be here. You're the Gamzee. I'm the most important guy. I'm the most important guy. I'm Gamzee. <laughs> I sound like this canonically. <laughs> Wahoo! That would be cool. Scrib it to do. Yeah. So we yeah, we'll, we'll probably talk more about uh gimmicks, especially uh later, um, when we get to the the ending ending in credits stuff. But uh that's how I see it impacting Homestuck at this point and also just being a little bit meta reflexive, uh, you know, my position here on this show being kind of an embodiment of uh my own self chosen gimmick. Mmm. It's good stuff. Yep. I like it. Um uh, I let me do a little thing. Okay, can I do a little sure. thing? Can I do a little performance? Yeah, here? do it. If you leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, and it's funny, we might read it. So just get on Apple Podcasts. You probably, I mean, statistically, it's like a big chunk of you are listening to it right now on Apple Podcasts, and based on the number of listeners we have versus the number of ratings we have, there's a big gap there. So if you have not yet rated us, it does us a it's a huge benefit. Big deal. Uh, Michael's going to tell you about the Patreon in just a second, but just give us give us the whole five stars. You don't you don't have to leave a review if you don't want to, but if you do, uh, I might read it. So this is from every nickname is taken. Ah, subject line yippee. I who uh, I open parentheses have never read Homestuck. Close parentheses got in trouble with my roommate open parentheses, ex-Homestuck fan, close parentheses, for talking incessantly about this podcast with their mom. <laughs> 12 out of 10. Great. I need to know the mom's position regarding Homestuck now. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to know. That's okay. okay. I don't, uh, wait, you know, that that's the subtitle um, uh, for Range Touches a Network. Mom's welcome. <laughs> we got a lot of, there's a lot of mom talk that happens in uh, Just King Things. Uh, we got a lot of mom talk that happening in Game Study Study Buddies. Mm -hmm. Bring the moms in uh, Homestuck Made This World. We're at Moms welcome at, at, at Range Touch. Uh, even though uh, uh, canonically, you know, No Dads was written into the firmament, <laughs> firmament a decade ago. Mm -hmm. uh, dads also welcome. All right. Uh, pa pa uh, you know, the kids networks of the past, parents not allowed. Range Touch, parents allowed. Mm-hmm. Parents are especially uh, allowed because they often control the family credit cards, which you can take and go to patreon.com slash range touch. Uh, and if you don't have your own credit card, again, ask your parents and ask them to support us <laughs> at uh, uh, whatever whatever goal uh, that you think is good, whatever tier of support that you think is welcome. But you should note that at $10 a month, you get Homestuck Made This World bonus episodes uh, where Cameron and I have talked through uh all sorts of things that might f uh, illuminate the the present conversation never ending story the saw films uh lost oh by the way uh uh caliborn taking uh jake english's name and becoming lord english that's sawyer mm -hmm. taking sawyer's name 
in Lost. Ah, shit! Yeah. That is Sawyer yeah. taking Sawyer's name. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so... <laughs> You kill, you killed my mom and dad, and now I'm going to become the master of the universe. Right. Yep. What if Caliborn sounds like Sawyer? Have we thought about that? Oh, oh, hold on. Uh, <laughs> the tale my masterpiece describes is basically a spoiler to the ending of things. It takes place in a future moment, long beyond when we, you, or I have any business seeing what happens. <laughs> well, let, listen up, sweet cheeks. Listen up legs uh i'm gonna destroy the the beacon of hope <laughs> whatever the hell it is. i see a, 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 a it would be like risky would be like eight legs yeah eight eyes <laughs> oh, oh, oh my god um turn that in someone someone send that in someone send in a long uh do your best sawyer impression you can tweet it at us yeah at range touch on twitter send us in a long impression of you, uh, we might we might edit it into the show because that's funny. Too. Uh, I would call it a cakewalk, but when you are this cocky and brash, you don't walk, you strut. No matter what kind of dessert you find under your feet. <laughs> what the fuck was I doing? Oh, right, the Patreon. Uh, uh, mo- right, right, right. <laughs> Most recently, sure. our bonus episode is on uh, the well beloved uh, fanfic Detective Pony. Uh, that is all about Dirk Strider, Dirk Strider feelings, Derrida, and uh, dubious methods of self-insertion into your own creative projects. So uh, I think you might enjoy that, especially if you've listened to this much of this show so far. Um, there's all sorts of other stuff, too. Just King Things, where we talk about the books of Stephen King in publication order, uh, so on and so forth. Game Study Study Buddies, which has a lot of relevance for some of the more theoretical things we talk about on here. But the other reason you might want to uh, hop onto the Patreon um, is that we have yet to decide what our show after this one is going to be, because we are coming up on the end. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cameron, but uh, we might uh, be putting up a poll or taking some like uh, Patreon input on this point. Yes. So we will make our we are probably have a couple other methods of broad list down to short list. But I believe that we will be throwing up our short list into a Patreon poll. Uh, and then the people who support Patreon will be able to vote on which of like the two or three that we find equally appealing of the potential shows after Homestuck Made This World. And I, I, I can say, I'll give a little bit of a, a preview here. Whatever show we do next after Homestuck Made This World will be a short show. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it will, it'll be not very long. Uh, <laughs> it won't be a year long. Because we have a like year plus long show lined up after that one, mm-hmm. uh, but we just need a little bit of a break. We need a little bit of a, a you know a downtime one. So so we're, we're you know we're not in it for uh, it's not going to be another year show immediately after Homestuck made this world. So like Twin Peaks is out. Mm-hmm. We're not doing Twin Peaks immediately after this, um, but that might be another thing. And they're also ultimately if if we can increase the bandwidth of what we can do on. Um, on range touch, Twin Peaks would be a kind of bandwidth increase thing. So it would be like at the next X target, you know, in terms of uh, uh, Patreon money, uh, something like Twin Peaks would come in at that that phase. So I know people really want us to do that. We really want us to do that, mm-hmm. but 
good God, the amount... In order to do a show of the caliber that we like to do on Twin Peaks is another... High forty hours a month or something. I mean, it's it's a yeah. lot. It's a lot of time. It's it's quite a bit, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to the the sh- the smaller shorter show because I would love to not have to read so many forum posts anymore. That's what's keeping me going. Yeah, we're gonna do something. Yeah, something low lift <laughs> on purpose. Um, but then we're gonna have a really we're gonna have like a year plus long show with a guest. We got someone who uh, is interested in coming in. Uh, to work with us, someone who range such people really like in a broad sense, and so um, it's going to be very exciting. Mm-hmm. But we, there, there's some scheduling to work out with that, and that would probably start in summer 2023, I would assume mm-hmm. slash assert. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> if you listen to all all of this stuff, uh, and uh, you're still listening, I have one additional thing to say, which is that. I've I've said this before, but perhaps you have forgotten, or if not, here's me reiterating it. Um, the bonus episodes for Homestuck Made This World will continue after Homestuck Made This World is finished, at least for a few episodes. Mm-hmm. So uh, getting in on the Patreon $10 a month thing, we just have more bonus odes than we had slots for bonus odes, and so we've made the decision to at least record two or three more. So you definitely want to get uh, behind the Patreon wall, at least for a little while, uh, to, to check out the bonus odes that we have right now, which people have really been liking and uh, to check out the future bonus odes if you're hankering for that Homestuck content after Homestuck Made This World is over. Mm-hmm. And uh, now back to the regular episode, because I'm the Lord of Time, and I have inserted this thing that we recorded at the end into the middle of the episode. <laughs> did you do that? Did you really do that? Yes, yes, I did. That's where we are right now. Wow. Hold on, hold on, be Jeez. careful. We're going to meet our past selves. you got to get in order. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, and so that's that. I don't know. What do you think about Vine showing up? Uh, what a what a time to be alive. <laughs> what do you think about Vine coming back? Oh, uh, thank you, Elon. Thank you. Now we can Who? now we can end the 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 gigapause and have more uh, stop motion uh, uh, shenanigans. <laughs> what has how's he ever spoken about this stop motion shenanigans? No. I would actually like a, a what of all the things to do. Why this? Right. I would I would love to hear like Hussey just talk about that a little because it is like, where on earth <laughs> did you get this idea? Uh, I could I could, you know, extemporize some ideas here. One, um, uh, you can contrast this. Uh, remember that uh, I've pointed out that uh, Caliborn stage and Calliope stage look very similar. Uh, up until this point, have looked uh, perhaps frighteningly similar, except it turns out they're actually different things. Uh, but Caliborn's is like real; it's material, right? It's, it's like a real thing that was built and filmed, and there are like real little puppets moving around. Uh, and this is a contrast to the like you know drawn visual representation with text that we get with uh, Calliope. Uh, Calliope's kind of little stage situation is also collaborative. It's her and Jane and Jade talking together and drawing pictures and so on. Whereas Caliborn has ended up in a position where uh, it only has to be him. He builds the stage, he builds the uh, little puppets, and he makes the puppets move and takes the pictures. So uh, uh, two polarities of authorship that are, again, kind of inherent to Hussey's position as the author of Homestuck. For example... Uh, on page 4475, uh, way back 
in early act six um when roxy is looking at the poster for rose's wizard fic complacency of the learned uh the hero of mm -hmm. that fic is described as uh calmasis uh represented looks visually like hussy wearing calliope's suit um mm. uh calmasis who throughout the series plays the roles of anti-hero and chief antagonist uh, S slash he, right? She, he, uh, convinces fellow disciples to rebel against Zazerpan's vaulted complacency and one by one hunts down each wizard. All 12 are killed, but the predicate scholar himself forcing a showdown. Um, so this idea that, uh, Rose's hmm. story has a character that is both like anti-hero, but, uh, antagonist, like both of those things getting combined, uh, seem to be also embodied in the text by Calliope and Caliborn as not just reader inserts then, but as uh, two inclinations of the author figure themselves, right? Um, collaborative, mm. uh, sort of hopeful, idealistic, uh, pulling in work from a fan artist on one end, and then the other end, the hussy who uh, realized that once there are enough people like saying stuff into the reader commands, you can do whatever you want. Um wholly isolated, like playing uh, a game by themselves versus a kind of more collaborative uh, game. Uh, and maybe one of the lessons of Homestuck is that th the choice between these two types of games aren't as uh, distinct as they might seem. Maybe you can play them both at once. I'm just trying to think of, uh, is there a young adult story from the time that plays in this this realm? But I can't, I can't think of one. With, uh, like, the author thing? No, no, no. With, like, the, uh, uh, uh you're a bad guy, but you're a good guy, too. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's like Elric of Melnabone. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know if, if I think that that Andrew Hussey was reading Elric, you know? Yeah, I, I doubt many young readers were at this point, either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The, uh, you know, maybe Fawford <laughs> and the Grey Mauser, you know, so they're scamps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, kids love, uh, was that Fritz Lieber? Yeah, uh, kids love Fritz Lieber, that's a thing. Yeah. That's one thing historical Michael remembers, is everyone running around in their Grey Mauser cosplay. Yeah, that, can you imagine a world in which instead of, uh, uh, Harold Potter, it were Fritz Leiber's <laughs> stories <laughs> that were like the hottest thing, uh, like a full 50 years after they were published. Yes. Oh, that would be great. It would be great. It'd be good stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. What, what's happening next time? Well, uh, next time then, uh, we are going to continue on our journey of Homestuck. We are actually going to finally move into the last episode where we're reading Homestuck proper. Uh, by beginning episode 12, part one. And for this, uh, you should read up until page 7,687. And just to, I guess, flag this ahead of time, there's going to be a lot of text, just so you know. Uh, if if uh, you, Cameron, or you, dear listener, uh, try to fit this in at various points of your schedule, expect to be reading a lot of text for uh, the next update. Great. Ha, ha, ha.